0: Welcome to the Conscious Relationship Uncoupling and Parenting Summit. It's me, Lucia Gabriela, your host and producer. And today we have the honor to introduce you an incredible woman. Her name is Mani Mamalushan. But before we learn from uh, Imani, we would like to read you who she is. Imani Mamalushan is a passionate and visionary mamapreneur, single mama twice, of five daughters between the age of 14 and 26. Great with Instant instinct, who are her greatest teachers and who serve as the motivation behind her success. A lifelong entrepreneur, Imani ran an all organic cafe called Alchemy, which she educated the community and homeschooled her children for over a decade. A spiritual midwife, she offers personalized training, inspiring others to make educated, empowered decisions. Imani walked her talk. She's committed to awakening humanity to what is possible in this new dream and works with individuals to activate their sole purpose. She's a lifelong networking who has a natural ability to bring out and promote the talent and expertise of others. Her latest business, Final Alchemy, provides personalized final packages for conscious entrepreneurs looking to get their revolutionary message out to the world. Imani's business strategies are in alignment with the way that she has raised her tribe. Her desire for a community to raise her children inspire her to build businesses aligned with her values while raising them based on concept of financial primaculture and regenerative, self-reliance, emerging model of both business and lifestyle, based on transparency, authenticity, collaboration, and cooperation. She believes that together we all have the resources and wisdom we need to thrive and is committed to serving as a role model and inspiration for others. It is my honor to welcome Imani into our summit. Thank you for joining
1: us today. Thank you for having me here, Lucia. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you. Thank you. And before we dive deeper
0: into the delicious topic of conscious uh, parenting, we would like to learn What brought you into
1: this realm and embody and walk um, conscious parenting? Hmm. Well I would have to say my my children. Um, I think there was an awakening that happened with the pregnancy of my firstborn daughter and um, that continued on through this day so it's been over two decades of having them serve as truly my greatest teachers inspiration and motivation for everything that I do in my life so it's really important for me that everything is integrated and the way that I've, the choices that I've made in my parenting and decisions in raising my children from, you know, having them born at home, um, homeschooling them and raising them in a holistic health related environment, um, especially around our cafe that's centered on food as part of our curriculum um, has shaped every aspect of my life. And I think, you know, we can, all as mothers and as fathers, just identify with that kind of um, pivotal rites of passage, especially as women when we give birth, that there was an awakening on a cellular memory of a remembering of who I really am and my purpose and how I'm here to serve on the planet. Beautiful, thank you for sharing.
0: Today's topic is about the emerging parenting paradigm of the new era. And we are so honored to learn from you today, Imani. So
1: let's do this. Here we go. So, you know, one of the inspirations on this journey of motherhood was really kind of claiming and my own identity. And so um, actually Momolution, this revolution of mamas, this revolutionary journey that I've been on, As I've transformed myself through the raising of my five daughters has been part of this parenting paradigm that I think that we're all feeling the shift happening on the planet so this is a new era that's emerging I think that as we continue to evolve in humanity that there's a level of consciousness that we are co-creating and I think that that's been a progression over time. And there's some things that, you know, 20 years ago when I first had my daughters, that were maybe not as um, pivotal or well known as they are today. So for example, you know, my decision to have my daughters at home, Um, I think now we look at things like eating organic food or home birth as somewhat of the norm. But I think, you know, as, as a pioneer that there are people that lay the groundwork for the future um, imprints and the future ways that our minds are thinking about things that are going to evolve. So some of the decisions that I made in the past decades shaped not only my own family, but I think those of us that were pioneering some of these ideas are beginning to kind of shape How humanity plays out. So, I think one of the easiest ways for me to introduce my family and my way of raising my daughters, my my children, my tribe, is through a video that one of my daughters created. We actually took the background music off, so you can just see the images and I'll talk over it. But I think having a commitment to raise what I call my children with instincts intact was a conscious decision on my part to really raise empowered. Um, females. And I think that in this time where we are saturated with a lot of different ideas, um, a lot of different concepts specific to even our sexuality and who we are as women, um, was really important to me. It was sort of the cornerstone on my decision to really raise empowered, embodied females. And that was the process that I've gone through myself, not having that upbringing, but really committed to um, templating that and creating that imprint for my daughters. So there's some certain decisions that I made along the way um, that that reinforce that. So one, I don't really have a strong connection to my biological family. My girls are literally my tribe and my immediate family. And so... One of the things that I decided early on in order to not duplicate the patterns and imprinting that I had from my childhood was to make some very distinct different decisions than the ways that I had been raised. Um, So that started with, you know, the moment of birth and one of the topics that I want to just kind of plant seeds and really I feel like the way that I share and teach and inspire in the planet is really from just walking my talk and living my life and giving others the idea that there are different choices that we can make. Um, I think sometimes we are conditioned to believe, especially when it comes to having children, that there are certain ways to do things. So I think having just the, the seed planted, that there is another way is how we begin to really affect change. And so one of those topics that I'm gonna kind of address today starts right at the beginning, which is with conception, you know, bringing these souls onto the planet. So I truly believe that our children choose us, um, and that this concept, again, of consciousness, before we even, you know, conceive that we set that intention, and I know many of us, um, you know, kind of even parent around and do our businesses around like the cycles of the moon. And if we start tuning in with the inherent wisdom of Mother Earth and the cyclical nature of Mother Earth, and then we become aware of the rhythms of our own body in our own cycles, our own menstruation, and then we are able to – and we teach our daughters that because I think that's one of the most empowering things we can do is to really uh, – teach our daughters and their partners how to be in tune with their own rhythms to celebrate those rites of passage, menarche and pregnancy, and as we go older into the menopause and those other years, that there's a celebration and acknowledgement and a wisdom that happens with those rites of passage. So as women, when we know our cycles, when we're tuned in with that, we actually know when we're fertile. And so fertility and setting the intention to bring a soul into the planet really is kind of um, this idea of conscious conception. And one of my mentors, Janine Parvati Baker, um, who is an incredible um, woman, midwife, who pioneered the term free birth. She wrote the first book on prenatal prenatal yoga before anybody was doing yoga in pregnancy. And she wrote a book on conscious conception, which um, she was also an astrologer. So she was very tuned into um, sort of this inherent nature, the constellations. And we'll kind of touch on that at the end, that there is a constellation that we come into as individuals and that family constellation that we um, are born into. So the certain lessons and information that we are here to glean out of this, um, this life experience. So as parents who are bringing in a conscious soul and conceiving it in that way. um, And, you know, I have over the years, I don't subscribe to any particular um, religious ideology, but I do have a very spiritual way of being in the way that I um, operate. And a sense of ritual has been really important to me as I raise my children. So with conception, with birth, um, celebrating their birthdays, Um, celebrating certain times of the year and certain traditions that we created or adopted have been really important, the ritual of eating a meal together. So I think that as we raise children um, that ritual aspect becomes a sense of stability or security and that foundation with which we raise our children. And just to kind of plant the seed from that idea of conscious conceiving that then we can also expand on that to the idea of giving birth ecstatically because most women today associate birth with pain. And one of the constructs that I had to shift in my own mind was that, that idea that birth was painful. And so through the process of giving birth um, four times, that was sort of a conversation that I was exploring. And that's actually what led me to want to write a book on ecstatic birth and raising sensual children, um, because I was, you know, as someone who was then teaching prenatal yoga and doing labor support, I was really coming face to face with other women's birth experiences, going through those experiences with them. Some of them quite traumatic, as you see, the disempowerment that can happen or the retraumatization that can happen for women in birth. So my intention was to. Um, create a, a uh, pl- to really plant that seed so that women knew that not only is birth not painful, but that it could actually be ecstatic, that we can really change those sensations, those waves that come through our body and interpret them in a completely different way. So I know that we have different, um, you know, birth labor support kinds of things and birth classes that people do. But I think Not all of them even touch on that idea that birth can be orgasmic, that you can literally have an orgasm in birth. And you probably have seen some of those videos of women. And particularly this happens in a home and birth environment because that's where women feel safe often. It's not to say that they couldn't happen in a hospital, but um, what happens when we move women in birth, it's just like moving another animal in birth that usually their body shuts down. So it's really important for that woman to have that nesting and feel comfortable and feel safe, not just in their environment, but with the people that are there, because it's really that process of opening up. And there's other things that we know now in birth also that midwives have always known, but um, to get the baby moving. For example, the progesterone um, that they use, not um, I'm sorry, the Pitocin, not progesterone, but the Pitocin that they use in a hospital birth is the same thing that we find in semen and men. So we know that if women make love and labor, that that's going to move their labor along. We know that if men are actually breathing on a woman's neck and there's that kind of exchange of pheromones, that that, um, that energy, that that will relax the woman so that she can open up more freely to birth. So it's no coincidence that what got the baby in there is the same thing that got the baby out. And I just got really passionate about Sharing that information because I don't think that enough women particularly younger women who are moving into um, Those childbearing years know that that's even possible on the planet and then moving into ecstatic birth You know some of the decisions and choices that I made kind of continued from that empowered place because when I gave birth to my daughter it was um, Like I got my body back This is the first time that I felt whole and complete and there was a complete download Um, when I got pregnant with her, that I knew I needed a midwife, even though I didn't know what one was at the time. And there was information that started coming through that I was channeling that was literally getting me back in alignment with, you know, who I really came here to be. And so some of that information um, continued as I raised my daughter. So the decision not to vaccinate, the decision to breastfeed, um, long-term breastfeeding, and those, again, all of the hormones that come along with that process and the decisions to attachment parent, to have the family bed with my children sleeping and co-sleeping next to me. So all of these began to shape this new family that I was growing. And I often make the metaphor here, and you can see the food in the background, that the way that we raise our children is similar to planting a garden. So we plant these seeds, we get the ideas, we germinate them. And it's really important the quality of the soil and um, we know now that most of the food on the planet is lacking in nutrients and minerals because the soil is depleted. So that soil that we plant the seeds in needs to have the vitamins and minerals the nutrients that, um, that really are gonna grow that food or grow that, cho- that child. And so I think that that structure that we set for our children, the values that we um, determine are important for us as we raise our children, um, Are something that they always come back to. So that's where I kind of move into this concept of raising children with their instincts intact. So, this is something that I did, you know, and having my children be on the same value system that I was. So that the things that were really really important to me um, and how I was raising them were the things that I gave them choices of, but choices within the context of that value. So for example, I had a lot of mothers who always ask me, how do you get your children to eat such good food? Um, and one of the ways I would do that is say, okay, we're eating green food, so do you want kale or broccoli? So this is the choice. This is the parameter. This is the foundation. Now within that infrastructure, what do you want to choose? So for take it out to a little bit broader as they got older, we eat real food. So I didn't have a definition of it having to be, you know, vegan or vegetarian Or paleo or whatever, but within that infrastructure was that we eat real food, which meant quality food, food with no preservatives, no um, colorings, no additives, and no GMOs. Okay, so within that, the question was, um, is it real food? If it wasn't real food, then that wasn't within the parameter of what we would eat or bring into our household. And one of the things you know, I really feel strongly about, with not just our children, but as we, even the way I do business in the world, is that we have to walk our talk. You can't uh, tell your children one thing and do another. So if your value system is in alignment Um, With the way that you parent you're going to get the results that you want and again that kind of that structure I I talked about this uh, uh, before I've shared that there was a study where kids were in a playground and They had no fence around them and the kids were huddled towards the center all together And when they put a fence around the playground what they noticed is the children went out to the outer perimeter So this idea of having structure and from within this place of structure is where we find the freedom so I think a lot of times as parents and mothers, we often feel like hesitant to give our children those clear boundaries, these these clear structure. And so that can result in having a lot of chaos. When we actually give our children that safety net, um, it allows them to actually have a sense of more confidence and more freedom. And then they have an ability to come back and know the difference between right and wrong, or as they get older, what I've noticed in my daughters is that they've tended to make the healthier choice or what I would consider to be a choice that was more in alignment with the values that I set in place. So I think it's really important as we have children in the younger years to be really clear um, of our parenting strategy. And with me, that that strategy again was instincts intact, that I trust that my children have the ability to know what's best for them. And so I give them opportunities to explore that, um, that dynamic, right, to see how they're going to stretch. So I'm not controlling their environment. I'm giving them that freedom. And it's the same with our homeschooling that we actually unschooled. But I found that a lot of people that unschooled without any structure or boundaries um, often ended up with a chaotic environment. So the way that I unschooled was there's certain parameters, like we learn reading, writing, um, math we have you know certain things that we do in a systematic way or daily way we're giving that structure that safety that um, Enabled them to have a way to operate in the world that made sense as they they kind of moved out from our you know little home environment and again that can go more to the conversations I I know are part of the topics of this parenting summit around sexuality and how do we raise empowered, sensual, for me in this case, daughters that um, are not succumb to all of the, you know, constant advertising that's being bombarded and images and messages that are not in alignment with the, with the values that I hold. Um, So I wanted them to be, able to have a sort of an embodied sensuality and feel comfortable in their bodies without it being sexually perverted. Because I do think that we're in sexually perverted times and there's a delicate balance there. Um, I think that watching my children and one of the things I realized too as I was thinking about writing this book when my kids were younger is that I didn't have the experience of having older daughters, and now I think I'm at a point where I could actually write that book with that full spectrum of experiences, all of the things that we've been through, and, and definitely share that it's, not, it's been challenging. It's been challenging even without ha- having any um, exposure to television now that we have computers and cell phones, that it's been really hard to contain what my children are exposed to. And so the the messages still seep in. I had one daughter who was a ballerina. I mean, the messages seeped in regarding body image and, you know, dealing with potential eating disorders because of um, the what other people, other adults and teachers were putting on them as far as their mindset, what it means to be a dancer. So that those kinds of concepts kind of seeped into our family and definitely... Um, had an impact on, on everyone because we're, we're like a, 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 unit together. And so what affects one affects the other. So that was the challenge of having daughters that whatever one was going through is going to ripple through and impact all of the others. So it, I'm not going to say that there hasn't been challenges, but what I can say is that I feel in many instances, I took what would be considered the longer road. I took the time, um, in the moment to ensure that the messages and the values of what I wanted to be imprinted were there rather than like, you know, taking like what I would say the quick route, like sitting my children in front of the television. We did things that took more time in the moment, but in the long run, I believe that they paid off. And, you know, that's just in general with how we are right as choosing to be conscious beings in this, on this planet. It's not the easy path. Being conscious does require more, um, time and energy and as my children say you know more um, it's even it can be just even overall more challenging to be woke as as my children call it because it requires more effort and so I think one of the things that's been the, the um, And the affirmation as I've raised my children is that I did take these past two decades and focus primarily on raising my children, even though I was building businesses and doing things around them, that they were my priority. And I made the decision, even though I had been through two divorces, that no matter what, my, my choice to stay at home with my children and to homeschool them was paramount. And so everything else that I did went around that decision. I didn't change my path because I had a, a you know a, a marriage that didn't work out. I still held to my values and my decision to, to raise them in a certain way. And so I think um, that kind of brings me to the next topic: is returning to our tribal ways. Now, tribal ways. I like the term tribe, and I think a lot of people are using it now um, because it it really makes us kind of get back in touch with this kind of connection to community. I think we have lost touch with that particularly here in the west we don't understand we don't have extended family many people especially single mothers feel like they're doing it alone we don't have the support system we don't have the other adults to step in and, and in a community there's more than one adult and we know that even from a psychological perspective that it's more we we are better parents better mothers when we have the support of a, a tribe. Um, I think a lot of women are suffering from, you know, depression and overwhelm and anxiety. And, and one of the things that I do in working with those women is specifically addressing the nutrients that are missing. Because again, we have that paralleled with the toxicity on the planet, with the food that's lacking in nutrients, with the amount of things that they're putting into our water, spraying into our skies, that we are not operating at our um, optimum level of performance. So when you bring the body back into balance through superfoods like medicinal mushrooms and um, CBD that we can begin to address that on just a physical level and then move on to the emotional and then into the spiritual level. Because for ultimately for me, raising my daughters has been my spiritual practice. It has been a spiritual experience. It's an expression of how I've made love with the world. Right? I think that um, I see um, you know, not having a partner in my um, dynamic that I sort of do function a little bit more like I guess a matriarch, but I have partners that have definitely come in, you know, two father figures that have been involved in my family, but have also maintained that relationship with my daughters as a primary relationship that I have a relationship with them. I also have a relationship with their fathers and I have relationships with other people within our community that we've brought in in to um, be mentors, to be other aunties, to be other um, just even siblings. We have a family, just so you guys kind of get a big picture that we had. I had my three daughters, and then I um, had another daughter with a, another person, and he had two children. And then my first husband went and had two children with another person who was a friend of mine. And then my second husband had a wife who had another child. So within our our group, our, our tribe, we have um, an incredibly complicated blended family. I think that that's what's happening in these times, that the the way that we're defining families is not the traditional family that we've known in the past. And there's what that it, um, allows us to do is actually develop an increased communication skill, increased acceptance, increased tolerance, and a way of loving beyond a limited scope of this one partnered paired for life um, mentality. And so it's definitely pushed me in ways beyond what I thought I was even capable. And I think the results for my daughters has also enabled them to have a different definition of what relationship is about and to not um, have a single idea of how they're going into relationships. So as a result, I've seen the ways that they're relating with others, the way that they're coupling with others has been quite diverse and and actually feels very healthy and empowering and positive as I witness that and and not to say that they haven't had growth and experiences that haven't been, but I think um, the trajectory overall is that they're on a path where if I look at where I was at their age at 19 really still steeped in codependent behaviors and not really understanding, Um, what I would say are more of these complex ideas of relationship, that they have a tremendous advantage because of not just the times, but the exposure within our own family constellation, our own dynamic. So I think when we move towards getting back to these tribal ways of trying to be in community, um, one of the things that we have to remember is that we really don't have a context for that. Um, We have to relearn, and again, um, Practice how to be in community, I think a lot of times we get things wrong, and the only thing that I would say that I have on the side on the air of caution is that I have been really um, hesitant and and again conscious of exposing my children to things that I was working through on my own, specifically I would say in the realm of relationships so um or a new idea it's something that I needed to work out myself before I brought all of them into it i don't I didn't go on this path of like. And maybe my children have a different perspective, but like dragging them through a lot of things. Definitely a lot of ideas as far as um, businesses and new concepts. There was a journey that we took together, but I was also protective of what I exposed them to as I was on my own journey. I think, again, that goes back to like having those values in place in the structure, because ultimately this new family constellation – that we are defining, we are all showing up as individuals within that constellation. And I do believe that there's an agreement. But as, as a mother, um, I stay open to whatever that information is. I don't, I don't take the stance that I have all the answers and know the way. I, again, I think my children are my greatest teachers. They continue to push me and, and get me to expand in ways beyond what I, what I ever imagined. So with that, I'm going to just move on. I mean, this is, you know, my some more pictures of my beautiful tribe. I referenced before growing our children like a garden and and that idea of Mother Nature and finding that sense of order in the chaos. And then from that place is where we give our children that solid foundation from which they can, you know, bloom. And, you know, creation is a powerful force. It's what is within us innately as women. We create. We give life to something. Um, And so when we create that from that place, just knowing that we're creating it from this place of the void, you know, there's fertility in that void, but the intention and what we are putting out to manifest is really what comes to fruition. And I think being, I think if if the one thing, you know, that I want to share from this whole um, conversation today is just knowing what you're creating, you know, having that intention from that creation place. So here's some ways to contact me if you're interested. I love working with people around superfoods and high-vibe lifestyle, which I call the high-vibe tribe. So what I've done with my family, I extend out to the world through the businesses that I am involved in and building that network with others and love collaborating and co-creating as we really do move into this new paradigm, not just of parenting but this new world that we're all um, creating together. So with that, I'll pass it back to you, Lucia.
0: Thank you, Imani, for such a beautiful and heartfelt presentation. Um, well, recent five daughters, and and very beautifully, that's so gorgeous to begin with. And you can see the presence, like that, you can see that they really embodying who they are as, as, as women, right, or, or, or feminine or, or, or their uniqueness pretty much. So when we talk about raising, uh, raising girls, we also talk about their sexuality, raising them in the fullest expression of what their sexuality really means to them and what it is for
1: them. How were you able to co-create that with them? So I think one of it, you know, in again, defining these values is just having my own values around sexuality and how I felt about myself and my body. So I, I referenced sort of getting my body back with this empowered birth experience with my first daughter. And I feel like that sort of opened up the pathway for me to explore other areas. So I, I was, I would say reclaiming my own sexual. Sexuality as I raised my daughters, um, so it's coming in from an educated place, but also, you know, not being orgasmic before I had children, you know, and then going through this practice and and being introduced to tantra and and finding that, but also having those kind of um, appropriate boundaries for my children as I was on my own discovery process and not giving them too much information or exposing them to too much, but enough so that they could come into their own. Um, you know, understanding of what sexuality was. So, I mean, obviously I'm very education oriented as an educator. So I believe that access to information is really important. My children know that they can come to me and speak to me about anything, especially in the realm of sexuality. So one of the things that I've done with them is celebrated their rites of passage when they, when they were bleeding, I kind of, made a, a big deal about it, you know, they don't always like the big deal, but made a big deal in recognizing them coming into their womanhood, and not just to them, but kind of in our community, so a little celebration. I think that that's a great way to acknowledge a young woman coming into her um, womanhood and her power, and I also talk about it and always reference them as goddesses and being powerful women, so the languaging that I use with my daughters is definitely along that, that trusting their own um, body's wisdom and then again, really important to tune them into their own cycles. So having a household of women, we often bleed together and having an understanding of what those cycles are, where they are in their cycle and how they, as they kind of went and became, you know, now that they are sexual beings and in relationships with others, their responsibility around their fertility cycles, and then also sharing with their partners. So I'm often sharing with their partners, hey, this is a good book for you to read so that you can become a better, better lover with, you know, my daughter and that kind of thing so that they're, they're the conversation is not something that's underground. It's a very open conversation in our household. Um, and again, being in multiple, you know, situations going through two divorces, there's a lot of emotion that goes through that process, right? Not just for the The people, the two people involved, but for the children too, and how does that play out in the family dynamic? You know how do you engage your children in that process so that you're keeping it a positive experience where love is at the forefront, even though we're choosing not to be together. Um, we still obviously love each other. And how do we manage that relationship after we're not necessarily cohabitating? How do we can maintain that to be a positive experience in their life? Does that make a little, um, I kind of went off, but I I don't know if I answered your question directly enough, Lucia, as far as raising them to be empowered sexual beings, but.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: With daughters, because they do challenge you (laughs) every step (laughs) of the way. Yes. Yes. So, when we talk about
0: um, separation and divorce, and you were just tapping into the aspect of um, uh, the emotionally uh, uh, aspect happening when you were going through your divorce while like raising your children. Um, how did you actually prepare them in a practical way? Like, what kind of conversations were you having with your daughters when uh, you knew that your relationship must come to an end? And, and their emotional impact wasn't as
1: traumatic, let's say, but more of an power way. Yeah. So, I mean, I I try to be really honest and clear with my children. So, I mean, again, part of it is we homeschool. So, we're together all the time. There's not like the kids go away and we're having it. So, we had a a family environment where we were literally all on top of each other constantly. So, there wasn't, I mean, even finding space in the relationship, we had to be ultra creative, right? Especially when they were younger. I would say with my my first um, husband that it was, I was, a single mother of three under the age of five. So they were five, three, and 10 months. But the decision I made at that point was that um, it wasn't like there was, it was a truly conflictual relationship. It just was, I again, I was young. Um, at that point when, you know, I first had my first daughter, I think at 25. So I was still young in the aspect of relationships and what was a healthy, passionate relationship. So I would say that was a relationship coming from a tumultuous childhood and some sexual abuse that it was a safe relationship for me. So it was perfect. He was the perfect person for me to bring children into the world with, and I knew he was going to be an awesome father, but it wasn't a relationship that was feeding my passion. And I thought, how am I serving my daughter's by modeling staying in a relationship where my true soul expression was not able to be, um, you know, to exist. And so it was it was really clear for me because I, I remember a lot of my friends at the time were like, you know, you're ridiculous being young, not, you know, and also adamant about the ways I was raising them and homeschooling them and um, not you know, going and getting a job and leaving them, keeping them with me. How how are you gonna make that happen? And so it was just it was just very clear to me though that by staying in the situation, I wasn't serving them. And so it was a process where we just kind of um, eased him out of the situation and normalized it so that it, it was normal and they were at the age when they were younger where it was like we actually kind of just changed the way we were. He was not not far, so he was still in their life, and we just made it the new normal. You know, it was, again, language skills at that age are not at the point where, you know, you can't speak to a a two-year-old the way you can speak to a 10-year-old. So we, I think that that's probably the way I did it when they were younger. It's really interesting. When he decided to move away, which was a couple hours away and remarry and start a new family, years later, that was as if, We had just gotten divorced. All the emotions of like the separation actually happened way after the time that we really actually separated. So it kind of proved to me that you can really normalize the situation, and his choice to do that actually impacted, I think, down the road. You know, a lot of things for the girls and was traumatic for them. Um, And then, you know, as as a a mother and being in a relationship, you can never, you can't always control the other person. Um, You can only control what happens in your household. I would say. That I think it's really important to do whatever we can to one consciously choose our partners that we're having children with first and foremost. Because I know so many women who um, are in situations that where there wasn't that conscious choice, and now they're battling over the children. And I think that that's one of the most um, heartbreaking things for everyone in the family is when you don't have that. Um, you can't even agree on how you're going to be a new family, right? So the path of mediation, I've always taken the path of least resistance. I've always kept the court out of my family life. So that was a first priority for me to not have anyone else tell me how to raise my children. I think once as women we lose that power, it, it can be a path and especially in certain states where there's not a supportive family court system that it can be a really difficult journey. So. Um, I think that that keeping a sense of peace and agreement that this is we're keeping what is best for our children at the forefront, um, and also maintaining our values and being able to really, really communicate, even in situations where communication might be challenged, um, is really important. With my second marriage, you know, the children were older, so it was a completely different conversation. I mean, you know, they were part of the process, and I feel like I really do, both, my, my two, my, both of my ex-husbands, you know, I think at different points said that I, I kind of give my children too much say, you know, too much, you know, like they both kind of come more from it like, you know, we're the adult. We tell the children what to do. And I've always been the one that says her, her opinion or perspective is just as important as yours. I've never put my child not equal to my partner. So um, because I'm not going to, you know, especially as a mother bringing other men into your realm, um, I think it's really important and being someone that came from sexual abuse that we listen to our daughters and what they have to tell us. So that is something that I've definitely put into their psyche that one, they can always come to me and whatever they have to say or share with me is relevant. I'm never going to dismiss whatever their perspective, point of view, or experience is, even if maybe the context, it, you know, we need to have a conversation about it. Um, if something felt inappropriate to them, that they would, we would be able to have a conversation. It's not like, he's the adult, we don't listen, you know, be quiet. That That is not the way I've raised my children. I've raised them to be very opinionated. And, and again, that longer path, because um, it takes a lot more energy to have opinionated um And fierce daughters than it is to not have them. So, and I know that, you know, sometimes I wondered what I did, like, what what did I do? You know, saying, your opinion counts. I want to hear what you have to say. Because sometimes when you, especially if you have five of them come at you, you're like, I'm not sure I want to hear all of this right now, you know. So, um, I think that that's, I think it's really important to make sure that our children have a voice and that even if there's something that we're doing as a parent that's uncomfortable or someone that we've brought into their sphere that they're not trusting and comfortable with, I think we need to, again, instincts intact, listen and trust that intuitive, wise aspect of not only ourselves, but what they're bringing to the table as well. Does that that make sense? Makes sense.
0: And I resonate with you so much when it comes to um, raising a child where their opinion, their feeling, their perspective, what they actually created really matters and is important into the dynamic of the family. So, I totally feel what <laughs> you're mm-hmm.
1: talking about. Um, and it's a balance because they don't. You don't want them taking over. You need to have charge, but you also want them to feel valued and important for sure.
0: Yes, and yes, and just having that beautiful conversation. And what I'm hearing from you is um, to really be coming from a place of, of of being honest honest and vulnerable with your conversation with your kid um that will create a better uh, be a better role model for them when it comes to them also expressing what they decide to express from a place of being vulnerable and honest and and, and trusting themselves
1: like you say that instant like really trusting themselves the body Yep, that energy PS, you know, that's that's true. And I think that's something I learned over that journey because I think in the beginning I thought I had to be like a super mother, have it all together, have all the answers. And I think with anything in any relationship, the more authentic, the more vulnerable and the more real we can be. We're not we're not serving our children by like holding it all together. I mean, they've they've you know, I mean, I don't tend to be an overly emotional person, but they've definitely seen me at my vulnerable moments and I share with them, you know, like even right now this morning I share with my daughter just some anxiety I was having around a situation that involves her, you know, I mean, children are perceptive, they're intuitive. I have highly psychic children. I mean that knew things even before I was willing to see it, you know? And, um, and so that's where I had to kind of put my ego in perspective too, to say, Hey, maybe they're understanding or seeing something or showing me something that, that I need to see that I'm not willing or ready to see yet. And so again, that humbleness of them being our teachers, not you know having the structure, not losing control of your household, but also making room for them to be individuals and human beings that they are. Beautiful. I love the
0: aspect that you mentioned about the humbleness of of them, uh, of being humble to, and at some level, act for that perspective. Um, I have felt in my life that, I will say, even in this summit, my daughter is the the greatest inspiration for this summit and so many levels. And, and and I share with even everyone, her counselor, my lawyer, everyone. She is the individual that has helped me to see many aspects of myself that I didn't see. So when I become humble and I I invite her to uh, share what she's seeing that is not in alignment with our dynamic. And I respect that, and and she kind of respect the decisions that we make together. That when yes. I invite um, a dynamic that need to be done, she respected it. Compared to other people, that they don't approach her that way, and they just make her feel like she's she's a baby. That right. she's not smart. That she's a baby. She had no idea what she's doing or what she's staying
1: yes. And I'm rating her in a way where she is she's, she's a, a master. Yeah, master, and she has a voice, and, you know, part of that is we're actually templating how for them to be in relationships with others, how to communicate their needs, how to communicate what's important to them, and, I mean, and that they're going to get in relationships where there's going to be challenges. Things are going to come at them, like, to be able to reach out for help, to reach out for support, to know that you don't have to have it all together. I mean, there's, you know those tumultuous years when they're going through that all of the emotions in the teenage years you know it's it's challenging i mean the depression the you know other influences of other children or friends i mean there's there's so much that comes up you want to keep that channel of communication open with your children so that they can always feel like your door is open and they can come and talk to you no matter what and there is going to be years or times or days where they don't for sure but, you know, what I've seen now as mine are starting to get older and they're 21, 23, and 26 was, you know, I was like praying. I was like, hoping it will come back around. But now they're coming back around. And I remember when I was like single mom with all five of them at home and I was like, oh, my goodness, I don't think I can handle this. There was like between the ages of 10 and 19. I was just like I was going crazy. And I would go up to these older women and say that had older children. You know, I was like, just tell me tell me this ends, you know, like the, that I'll, there's light at the end of the tunnel, you know, it was like a, this one year where I just was like, just tell me. Um, and, and I, I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And it, so just to, to let others know, because there are those really difficult challenging years. Um, my youngest, I remind her now she's 14, and when her sisters were going through that cycle, she would say, "Mommy, I will never talk to you like that or never do that." And I, and now I say, "Remind her Concordia, remember?" She's like, "Mom, I'm a teenager now. You know, like it's like out the window. Like, does not relevant." But so they go through that, and to have those realistic expectations and know, and not take things personally. That's the other thing I think is really important because I saw in my partners. That And girls can be vicious. You know that, right? So, you know, like, especially with their words, you know, <laughs> and they took everything so personally. You have to be strong and know that this is just where they are in that emotional moment and not let it shake you up or not have it mean everything. If they're saying this or that, that that there's probably a little bit more to it or they always come back and say, oh, I'm really sorry, you know, <laughs> I, I I was – having a fit or whatever, but not to take it personally. Yes, not to take it personally. And also like one of my mentors who's gonna be in this
0: summit too is Francesca Gentile that she actually shared with me in in one of the trainings, you know, we're not allowed to vomit our emotions upon anyone. So I have took that little wisdom nugget and apply it into my daughter and and, you know, that seed I will imprint on her. Not in her, on her, how you say it. But I will imprint it. And, um, and hopefully, you know, when she goes into those teenager years, <laughs> she has the mantra of, like, you know, it's not my right to vomit my emotions
1: upon right. others. But, you know, the and- other thing with that, Lucia, is that I think this is really important again as raising daughters that we have to come to terms with our own power and our own fierceness. So we have to give them room to explore the full range of emotions because then if especially if we let them do it at the younger years, then they're not as intense as they get older. But if they feel like and I think many of us in our generation feel that we ha- we controlled our emotions. We were, you know, reserved and worried about what everybody thought. Like my kids say things and and then they realize, oh, that was probably inappropriate, but they need the experience of going through that on what it's like to emotionally vomit, so you can then not do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, they, but I feel like let them be as intense as they can so that then they can not feel like they're bursting at the seams and kind of containing themselves and like that um, kind of um, brewing under the skin. As I think uh, now that they, I've seen them go through it, they've, they've tempered out and they don't have – that intensity as often, but but as girls, I don't think we give girls enough opportunity to really be strong, fierce, powerful, obnoxious, and whatever you know. And um, and so that that's but, but again, I set boundaries on it. You need to do that. Go somewhere else. But you know, do it. But not don't take it out on me. You know. <laughs> so
0: yes, um, and that's important point that you uh, make in here, where we can express emotions, but. Uh, within our boundaries, we, we know when, where, and, and you know, we're, we're not hurting anybody outside. Like, we really just, it's about us. It's about us expressing our emotions and our feelings and, and getting aligned with that.
1: But it's like we're just, we're showing, giving them the tools. We're giving them a toolbox on how to actually be in healthy relationships. I mean, isn't that the ultimate of what we're trying to do here, is teach our children through what we're learning and our own experiences, but also give them opportunities. Because we know when we you know, work with people that we can't do it for them. We have to let our clients or our children go through their own experience. Because often I wanted to say, hey, I already did that. You don't need to do that. I figured it out. Like, take this, take this road here, right? And sometimes it's, we have to let go, you know, it's like we, we have to let go and let them go on their own journey. And I think that's probably the hardest thing as a mother to witness your children going through something painful, something challenging, something heartbreaking. I mean, because, you know, we want to take that pain away. We want to take the struggle away. We want to save them or protect them so it's that again that very delicate balance of giving them the tools that they need to make the best decisions and hoping and praying a mother's love is the strongest force on the in the universe um, to always energetically surround them protect them and help them to be on that path to do what is in for their highest self and their highest good but to know when to let go and when to hold on it's a quite the adventure Beautiful. Uh-huh. So what I'm hearing
0: um, that we're providing the tools for them to be able to address the contrast of situations like from um, I love to listen to Abraham Hicks when he she talked about um, you know the contrast is as much as important as the rocket mm-hmm. of desire that you throw throw to the universe right because mm-hmm. the contrast allows us to know what we don't want to know what we desire so uh, from what I'm hearing from from your perspective, it's kind of like around that too that it is important for us to give them the tools necessary for them that when the countries show up, they know how to deal with it, but still they have experienced it wherever they needed to experience it, mm-hmm. and from that experience, master it and expand at a deeper level.
1: Absolutely. Yep. That's it. In a nutshell, I think we have to let them have their own journey but be there by their side sort of. And that's why I like that kind of spiritual midwife, like we're here and they know we're here if we need them and we can guide them and we, we give them all the knowledge that we have, but ultimately it's up to them to pave their, their way, you know.
0: Beautiful. I know that we can talk forever with Imani. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we thank you so much for joining us today. So if you do, uh, have a last word of wisdom that you would like to share with our community
1: what would that be hmm i think you know just to sum it up we've talked about this aspect of just going into not only parenting but all of our relationships from this place of consciousness and also being gentle with ourselves from that place of wherever we are at this particular moment in time and just kind of you know for me, a spiritual practice connecting with Source, and you referenced Abraham Hicks. I mean, whatever that is for you, I use a lot of mantras um, to kind of guide me on the way that I interact not only with my children, but with my family and friends and my business partners, like all of my relationships, so that I'm going into it from that place of mindfulness and intention and consciousness. So I think that if more of us are doing that on the planet, Um, we're going to create more of the love that we're all envisioning and wanting to take in and receive. Thank you so much. So how can we find you again? You can go into my website, uh, mamalution.com. There's some links there to all the things that I'm up to with the superfoods and the businesses and the coaching. So um, that would be a good place to find me and on Facebook. Thank you so much, Imani.
0: (laughs) Thank you, dear. We thank you, amazing community, for joining us to another incredible episode of The Conscious Relationship Uncoupling and Parenting Summit, and we'll see you in our next episode. Have a great day.